So Jesus is correcting a false view of the disciples and the rest of the people about the kingdom of God. It is going to be instituted in its full form and its completeness. But right now, there's just a present form of the kingdom. The kingdom now, it's within, as he had said earlier. And so he's spoken of this present sense of the kingdom. Disciples struggle with that thought. They can't get it. The kingdom's going to be delayed, even though it seems like the rhythm has picked up to almost the peak. And when it hits Jerusalem, when it hits that triumphant entry, it's going to hit that peak. And that's where people are really thinking this is it. The immediate future. Within a day, maybe, they're thinking. So, here we have that He's actively working to bring people under His Lordship right now. But, also, it's saying that we have a responsibility in this life that God gives us and opportunities that we have to invest in the kingdom of God. This is one of the reasons why we're still here and not in heaven. Because He wants us to use opportunities to glorify Him, to use what He's given us, so that it will be invested into this kingdom that is coming. God has given to us these great gifts. That's what He does at Christmas time, doesn't He? When He comes to us, that's Christmas time. When He saves us, and then we build upon what all those gifts are, and they reap dividends. So that's the idea of this passage today. So um, we have a long, lengthy passage. It's in Luke 19. We stand for a moment. Read this word. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because He was near Jerusalem. They supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called to him, so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, 
which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said by the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But for the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Father, you certainly are a holy God. We are to take you seriously. That you really mean what you say. You desire us to hear your word. To hear your word always, every day. This day. That, Lord, it would make an impact on our lives so that we'd see that what you're trying to do is have us to have joy in investing in our future. This great glory in, in the kingdom that you are preparing for us. Thank you, Lord, to help us to glean from this precious truths that will give you glory. Amen. Pretty somber passage, isn't it? In Luke 19, verse 11, says, While they were listening to these things, while they were listening to these things, what things? Well, back up a verse. It says that uh, Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now that's where we were at last week. That's where we left off, right there in verse 10. That is the kind of things that He's been doing. He's seeking and saving the ones who are lost. One of them being here is Zacchaeus. Before him was Bartimaeus and his other blind friend. Uh... You go back and you keep seeing the ones who come to Christ. That's His people. He seeks them out. He saves them. And so, as He's saying these things, they're listening to this, the most important truth that they could hear. He came to do the work of salvation. That's why He came that first time. first time He came was to be the Savior. He did not come to right all wrongs socially, did He? He did not come to heal everybody in the world. He did not try to straighten out all the civil iniquities that go on. He did not come to make this nation or 
the nation of Israel or the rest of the nations in the world moral. Boy, you would have thought he could have at least done that. He did not come to establish economic justice. All these things are good, are they not? Social justice, uh, not the way that it's defined today. He did not come to institute Jewish triumphalism, even though he's a Jew. See, he did not come the first time for all these things. And you thought those were actually good things. He came here to seek and save those which are lost. He came to save people. It's about salvation. That's why He came the first time. So, second time, He will come that all will see Him and that He is the King. Not to save, but to bring His people into a kingdom and to judge all the ones who do not trust in Him. That's the idea. So it says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because He was near Jerusalem. So to tell another parable, where is He at? Close to Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho, 17, 18 miles from Jerusalem. Probably about six hours walk. You could do that in an afternoon. Maybe they're starting out of a morning and they're going to get there by noon, Right? probably started out early to get going. He uh, has been in Jericho for probably a day or two uh, because he healed the blind men. Uh, He saved them. He saved Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? That was last week. And he stayed at his house, which meant he probably stayed all night. It wasn't just a big uh, one-hour visit there. So at least he's been there for a little bit. Now they're getting ready to go. They're leaving, going to Jerusalem. What are all the followers thinking? This is it. This is Jerusalem. Something's going to happen. They're anticipating this. Appear immediately. He was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. The word there is anaphain. It means to come in view of something. To come in sight of. Have you ever been driving along on a road, you know, and things block your vision? Maybe they're rising and all of a sudden you get up to a certain point and all of a sudden you see beautiful, gorgeous, huge mountains miles and miles away. But you see that. But you didn't see it before. And all of a sudden you get up to the top and what happened? It appeared immediately. That is kind of what we're talking about here. This actually is a uh, nautical term. Dealing with uh, ships. Horizon. You're out in the ocean. All you see is what? Water. But you get to a certain point and over there you see a rise and all of a sudden you see land. It wasn't there. Boom. It's there. It appeared immediately. Uh, just like as they will be appearing in around Bethany. 
Mount of Olives, they will be going up a hill. And when they get at the top, they're ascending really, going all the way down from Jericho, ascending up through kind of like mountains. They get to the top and guess what they see? Jerusalem. That will appear immediately. And then all of a sudden, they've got to have something happening to their spine. (laughs) Because this is it. They're excited. They're anticipating. Just like little kids anticipate Christmas, right? No. So, we go. (laughs) We go to our point number two. The departure of the nobleman. And this is going to be an illustration of Christ Himself. But really... He's just taking a parable of a a man who was a nobleman. Tells a story, but it it actually is giving a great picture of Jesus the King. What he's going to do to get his kingship. So, he says, a nobleman, in verse 12, went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. That's really what this is all about. He actually could say this in one sentence. And we could pretty well get that idea of what this really means, don't we? Pretty simple. Okay, this uh, man, it says that he is noble. A nobleman. uh, It's a man of noble birth. Uh, Jesus is the noblest of all, isn't he? Uh, This is a story about a man who had a noble birth or literally a man of high, significant birth. A nobleman. A significant person here that he speaks about that goes to a distant country. Distant means it's going to be a while before he gets there. It's going to be a while before he gets back. They should get this, shouldn't they? They don't. He's going to go away for a long time. He's still away, isn't he? He will return. He's going to receive a kingdom for himself. That's what this nobleman's going to do. He's going to receive a kingdom for himself. He, uh, Christ is now in the position of coronation. He's the king. He's the protarikos. He is the chief one. He is the preeminent one, isn't he? The king of all the universe. No one has ever been like this king. And it means the Father has given him this kingship. He will return, and when he returns, everybody will be accountable to this king. This one who will rule over the people. Now, I want to tell you something. This is really meaning a lot to the people there in around Jericho. The people who live there. The people in Judea area, Jerusalem. You can say, why does, why does that mean a lot? Well, it's real familiar. You want to know why it's familiar? Well, see, that's what... Uh, people would do. It's a historical parallel which actually happened historically. There was a king by the name of King Herod. You remember him? 
before the time of Christ, he actually went from this area all the way to Rome to get his kingship. He came back to rule over the people. It took a long time to go to Rome and then back. But the emperor there, or what would be the Caesar, would give him his kingship. And now he had the right to rule over them. Well, you see, there was later a king by the name of Archelaus, who was really kind of what a nobleman would be at the time. He too, he would be in the generation there uh, from Herod. Archelaus is going to go to where? To Rome, a distant country, and then come back to rule over the people. Do you get the picture here? Now Archelaus actually is from around the Jericho, Judea area. He had his, his palace built in Jericho. He built aqueducts where you could have water just running to certain places that needed. Jericho was like uh, an oasis in the desert and had water, had springs there in the desert. So the water was able to be kind of like piped out to people. I mean, this is a great place to live. Do the people in Jericho know him? Yes, they do. People in Judea know him? Yes, they do. Do the people like this guy? Not at all. Matter of fact, they hate Archelaus. Jesus comes on the scene and as a whole, the nation doesn't receive Christ, do they? His own receive Him not. And so what, what we have here in this parallel story is really about Christ, but there is the historical significance and they all would know what He's talking about. The nobleman that went away and came back to take His kingship and to lead over them, they didn't want that. You know what those people did whenever He went to Rome? They sent out a delegation. Guess what? They followed right behind him. And they presented to Caesar that they did not want this man to rule over him. They hated him. And he was a very hateful man. He deserved it. He didn't deserve the kingship. Well, you see, the the Caesar at this time compromises to a degree here. And... What he does, he makes him what would be a little lower than what a king would be. He wasn't necessarily a king. Uh, There were symbols of him being a a king. He was a little bit lower than this. You get the idea, right? He would have been called an ethnarch. Uh, Ark is rule, but, you know, it's... It's just, he's going to have to prove his kingship because he, you know, the people are going to cause an uprising. And they don't want that. The Romans had a pretty good system and let, they had their own people rule over them. Although there is the Caesar over all the empire. But you can kind of keep it quiet that way. And of course they had their own governors, the Romans did, and then the military and such. But you'd have this ethnarch here. So he came back. But he did have some kind of rulership. So he received whatever he got there. And everybody knows this is the historical story. Now, do you get that? 
I probably went on extra five minutes more than what I should have. But does that help? Whenever you are in the crowd and he tells a story and you go, oh man, this one's really easy to figure out. That's, that's like Herod. No, it's even better. It's Augustus giving almost the kingship to this Archelaus. So here we have it. They know that. Now Archelaus is not ruling at this time. Uh, it only lasted about ten years. And he was done. Okay, But the citizens, they all hated him. Do you get the idea? That's really what it is with Jesus as he comes to this nation. Uh, the, you know, uh, he, now the thing is, whenever Archelaus comes back, he deals with them who he knew for sure that were trying to oust him out of his kingship. He's a an evil kind of man, and so. Um, no, they're not going to be able to impeach him. They can't overthrow him. So he takes advantage of the situation and, and deals with them. Uh, when he came back. You see, there are basically three categories in our story today. There's the faithful. There are the fakes who look like they're faithful. And then there are the foes, the out-and-out enemies, Pharisees, Sadducees, all people that were wanting to kill him, which within the next week, most of those people that are following him are going to say, crucify him. They are part of it too. Uh, They will be judged appropriately when Christ comes back. Now, he says this. Verse 13, He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Do business with it. He says, okay, here, this is what the nomad did when he, you know, when he was getting ready to leave. He says, I'm going to be gone for a long time. Here is like three months worth of money. Take care of business here. Do business for me. Keep it going. Make it grow. Does that make sense? And there were ten of them. We're going to basically see one of them come, you know, with that, that ten illustration. But, you know, just to make the, the story simple, general there. So it's really kind of a significant amount. Yet it's not, it's not meager, but it's not a lot. And, but it's something they can do with. They can make business with this. By the way, the word for make business is pragma. You ever heard of pragmatism? Pragmatic. Do something pragmatic with it. Make something work here, you know, for this. Uh, whatever it takes, do it. That's the idea of pragmatism. So there it is. Make some business with this while I'm gone. Ten minus one for each slave. And that's what happens. We move on. In course, he says, verse 14, but his citizens hated him. Okay, we first talked about who? His slaves. 
but his citizens, the, the regular people, the normal people out there, hated him and sent a delegation after him. They knew this historical story. And they're saying, oh, that's Archelaus. The crowd went with him, kind of. We do not want this man to reign over us. So, there are people who reject Christ out and out. Call themselves atheists. Call themselves agnostics. They don't believe in God. Or they do believe in God and they don't care about Him. They don't want to have anything to do with Him. Christ still owns them. Because He created them. He owns everything. Everybody. People can reject Him. He still owns them. Well, that's the idea here. Uh, How about Muslims though? They're not in Christianity or Jews. He owns them. How about Buddhists? Hindus? He owns them. He owns them all. People hate Jesus sometimes for no reason. They just hate Him. And they'll use His name in vain. Boy, don't you hear it all over television anymore? People taking Jesus' name in vain, but yet they would say they don't even believe in Him and use His name. You heard such a thing? Somebody that didn't exist and to use their name. That's incredible. Unbelievable. Well, I will say, in John 15, verse 25, we see a reaction of people But they have done done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. They can't even come up with a reason why they uh, hate Jesus. They don't even have a cause. They just hate Him. Chapter 19, verse 50. That's absolutely ludicrous, isn't it? 19.15 So they cried out, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! Pilate said to Him, Shall I crucify your King? Do you see the story? The King is there. They don't recognize Him as a King unless He takes over the kingship. He didn't take it over. So the next few days, then what are they saying? Okay, if he's not our, you're not the King, then get out of here. Kill Him. Because he didn't come to do all that social justice that needed to be done and to make the economy better, to make the government better, to be under one rule. No, he didn't do that to come when he came here. He came here to save. So, we go to our point three. By the way, did you know that every knee will bow? Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether the believers or not, most people will say it that He's not really theirs. But people who are His love to say it. We say it all week long. We say it here today. Jesus is Lord. Sing songs about that. We confess it. So we go to point 3 in verse 15. Back to our Luke. 19, 15 says, When he returned after receiving the kingdom, 
he ordered that these slaves to whom he'd given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The reckoning. First appeared, saying, Master, your mine has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, Master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Okay, here's his return. He's gone, gotten his kingship, comes back, and he says, Okay. What did you do with what I gave you? Did you know that that's what's going to happen to believers at the judgment seat of Christ called the Bema? Now, we're not talking about judging for salvation. We're talking about what we did with what He gave us. He already did the thing at at the cross. That was His first coming. He came to seek and save that which were lost. And in time and history, those ones are called and they respond to Him. But really, when did we die? At the cross. Somehow, that happened. And we rose again. Saw out of Romans 6. Other places. So now we move to the story of the second coming. He comes and establishes the kingdom. The king is back. Remember the nobleman? Remember Archelaus? Went to Rome, came back, and then he started judging a lot of the people for how they responded to him being king. Well, clearly we can see how this works with Jesus. He descends from heaven white horse, saints, the angels with Him. He establishes His glorious kingdom. We're shouting rejoice, joy to the Lord, right? But the rest of the world who did not trust in Christ are going to be judged. Servants, slaves are called now before the King. First two are slaves that are the faithful. It's accounting time. It's going to be a glorious reward, actually. And you can say, oh, what's he going to judge? Is he going to take everything away from us? Well, actually, it's a good thing because what he's going to do is to account, we account to him, and then he rewards us for what we have done here. Some will have great rewards. Some will have a lot of rewards. Others will have very little rewards. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 for a moment. As we speak about the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> for we must all appear before the judgment seat. These are believers. I'll just come out and say to you, there is the great great white throne judgment where people are judged for their works for salvation and none of them would be admitted into the kingdom. But there's a judgment seat of Christ where we're there before Him and He does what this parable is talking about with the men with the minus. So it must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's Bema. 
so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The good stuff, we get rewards for. Bad stuff, it's not really done for the glory of God. You know what He does? He pitches it out. We don't keep that. We don't want to take it into the kingdom. He doesn't want it in the kingdom. But anything that is an investment for the kingdom, that's exactly what it is. It is going into the kingdom. It is part of the kingdom. And that's what is done there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Again, this is dealing with the rewards and the famous seat. Let's move to uh, verse 12. He's talking about, you know, building on a foundation, and we know that a foundation there has to be for anything to, to build. Verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, what a foundation, right? Just wood? Would you build on a foundation of wood or straw? Hey, no. What's going to happen to that foundation? So burn up. Each man's work will become evident. How your work with what you've been given here on earth as a Christian now, that's what this is about. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. What about gold? What happens to it? The dross is burned off, but what do you still have? Gold. Pure gold. What happens to silver? You burn off the dross, what do you have? You still have silver, right? If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's whatever's left. There will be something there. May not be much left. But if they're truly a Christian, there is the foundation that is there. So, there again, that's dealing with rewards. He will give us according to the things that we've done here on earth that glorify Him. In your Christian walk, if you've done anything that glorifies Him, that will keep and will go on in. Did you want the dross to go into the kingdom? So that's what the idea of the fire, that's His judgment. And it will be perfect judgment. It will never be weighted on one side or the other, taking sides and being fair and unfair. It will be perfect justice. That is the way that God judges. Aren't you glad we have a holy, righteous, perfect judge? And it will all be right. To be made right. That's what we like. So, in this case here, we're talking about rewards here for two of them that are faithful. Master, your mana, mina made ten more. You know what I like about this slave here? Doulos. It means that he was very humble. You notice how he starts? Your mina. 
Jesus made ten more. Multiply. I think he reaped quite the rewards here because he let it do the work. It wasn't his mina. The nobleman who became a king as he came back says, what did you do? And he says, the mina you gave me is ten more. It's great. It's just three months' work. You know, and that's why he would say here, um, first appeared in 16, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Uh, add all those days' wages up, and it comes out to be you know, like a mina. It's this three months' work, a quarter of the year, something like that. That's a pretty good amount of money, but it's still not huge. But he says, you take it just a little bit. I'm going to give you ten cities that you're going to be authority over. That's a pretty big time uh, uh, opportunity, isn't it? That he is now given. He gets a whole province. Now, it's like, hey, that, that's quite a deal. He just did with what the Master had given him. did that. Faithful believers, that's what they do. They just do with what the Lord has given. Well done, good slave. There's our title for the day. wonder where we got that. Don't you like to hear that? Of course, you've always heard, well done, good faithful servant, right? It's the same thing. That's the idea. Don't you want to hear those words? That is the first thing I want to hear that I did good, but it was because it was His work in me. All I wanted to do was yield to His work in me. He invested into me so that I can invest into the kingdom. And how we invest is investing in His people. That's how we invest. Church is part of the kingdom, isn't it? It's also taking out to the lost world the gospel, the most important thing that will last forever. And taking it to people, the truth of God, the power of the Spirit, taking that opportunity, taking it to the lost. It's using your spiritual gifts, all the opportunities that you have all throughout life, spiritual privileges that you've been given, everything the Lord puts in your life, everything, all of it, everything that He puts into your life, you maximize it for the kingdom of God. That's really what it is about. And I will tell you and guarantee you that He will reward, will reward you highly. Don't you all want that? Isn't that what it's about? You say, well, I don't want the rewards. I just want to be in heaven. Don't say that because that is unbiblical. You're saying, I don't really want to do anything for the Lord You know, while I'm here. I just want to get to heaven. Then I say, oh, really? Are you really? Do you really trust Christ? Are you obedient or not? You want to be disobedient and get into the kingdom? Will you get in there But if you don't trust Him? He says, here, I've given this. Trust me. Use it. Live it. So, he goes to the second guy. Your mina has made... Or, uh, your, your mina master has made how many? Five minas. 
That's still really good. You know what it's telling me? Not everybody will have the same opportunity. Right? Not everybody's going to have the same size of church. That's obvious. There will be some small churches and some that are smaller. And then the people like us, they're they're, they're the smallest. (laughs) Are we any less than the great big churches? I sure hope not. I would like to think that we're just giving glory to God and whatever that's worth, you know, to Him, good. I want Him to get the glory, you know. That's, I, I don't care how we compare with other ones. Sure, I like more to come in because it shows that God is blessing us and it's more fruitful. We want to be that way, don't we? Um, does He give everybody the same gifts? No. Same size of influence? No. The difference in results can be, for this guy right here, maybe the factors are beyond his control. Some really kind of blast him and said, see, he wasn't as good as the other one that made ten. He only had five. Well, maybe he did a little less. Maybe he actually did more than the other guy, but all that really came out to be, you can work hard at your job and not make a whole lot of money. But you gave it everything that you gave, and you know it. Other people can make a whole bunch of money and work real hard and get all sorts of rewards for it. Or other people can be in a position where they're making a lot of money and they really don't do much of anything. <laughs> and they still get more money. It just keeps rolling in. So what are we saying? We're saying, you be faithful to what you're given. It doesn't matter what mankind thinks. It doesn't matter what people think of this little church and as embarrassing as it must be. And some people come here and I think they, they see the size of the crowd and they go, uh, I don't like this church. Well, do they preach the Word? Do they, do they sing and praise God and worship Him biblically? Yeah, but it's just not for me. You know, it's, I, I belong in a bigger crowd. Well, maybe. But that they would treat us as somebody who really is real little and more or less. Now, I'm taking advantage of this situation. I hope you don't think that I'm misinterpreting it because I'm really trying not to, but sometimes people can judge because of littleness. And, and I hear of pastors who have this church, they started out with 10 people at a Bible study and the next week they had 200 people there. And then the next week they have 400 people. And within three months they had 1,000 people. And within one year they had 6,000 people in their church. I have heard that story over and over and sometimes it really makes me very depressed because I'll hear that story completely and I'm saying, Lord, are we doing something wrong? If it is, please correct me. Whatever it takes. We started out with 10 people. And the next week, I think we had 12 people. The next week we had 15. Uh, now I'm, I'm exaggerating probably. But it did get up to 20, 25 people within a space of a, a month or two. And that was about as big as it ever got. You guys that have been around for a long time, we basically have had about the same numbers. People judge by numbers. Churches will judge how good they're doing by the baptisms that they have. Well, that's great that they're at baptisms, but is that the way that we judge how a church is really doing. I don't know. 
I don't know how I'm doing. Only thing I know is that the judge is there. I just want to do the best that I can and I just want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Am I, am I speaking for you guys too? I think I am. I think I am. So, whenever I say about, whenever I talk about the church there, I know a lot of people would think differently, but I know that you guys don't because you keep coming. You keep coming. And you keep coming. Even when sometimes you wonder why doesn't it grow? Well, maybe the Lord didn't want to get it too big because He didn't want me to have a big head. (laughs) I think that has a lot to do with it. Why didn't I become a famous musician that I wanted to? Because He didn't want me to. That's why. Why didn't I become a great baseball player? I love that game so much. Because He didn't want me to. Well, people say you can become you dream your dreams. You can make anything happen. You can be president of the United States if you want to. You can be whatever it is. You can make it, and you can make it happen. That is a lie. <laughs> Have you ever gotten everything that you wanted to be? Very little of it. You see, I keep banging up against the wall. It seems. Okay. First Corinthians six, verse two and three. Look at this. Here's rewards, folks. This. If we've been too hard today, look at this. This is exciting. Verse two. Don't you know that the saints, that's believers, will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Can't you take care of it in church? Rather than taking it to court and suing each other? That's what they were doing in Corinth. Now go down a little bit further. Verse 3. Do you not know that we will judge angels? We're going to judge the world? We're going to judge angels? Would it be safe to say that we will have cities that we will rule over? It sounds a little ridiculous right now, doesn't it? Me? I haven't even been a mayor of Jeff City. I couldn't even be Mayor of Osage City. What's smaller than that? Mayor of Taos? <laughs> mayor of Keltstown? Debbie, you live in that area. You haven't even been mayor of that. My goodness. How can you rule cities? Rosebud. Rosebud. Little blip. Useful. That's even better. Yeah, you're there, and then you're oh, out of the city. About two seconds. Don't blink. So he entrusts the gospel to us, and what we do with that, he's going to reckon that, and it's going to be saying, "Okay, you did that. You were faithful with that. I'm going to give you about three cities here 
you're going to rule over. 10, 20, who knows? You get to call the shots. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, you will. Because remember, you're going to be in a glorified body. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be holy. And you're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. That's why I believe in a millennial kingdom because how could we rule over each other if we were all glorified? That is why when they go into the kingdom and then you see nations that are going to come up and worship the temple at the temple in Jerusalem. They're going to worship God. Uh, what? They're going to go... And if they don't, they're not going to be blessed. Matter of fact, He will curse them by not giving them rain. Egypt, Israel, wherever. But if they are obedient to Him, are these glorified saints? We're going to be cursed? No. But it's got to be people who are not glorified. What about this last guy? It says that He's a slave. He's like these guys, right? No, he's not. Master, here's your mina. Look at that. It's still here. I kept put away in a handkerchief. I just wrapped it up. Made sure that I don't lose it because I know that you are really exacting and you can be really horrible and terrible. And so I fear you, so here is your mina back. This is the person that never does anything. Who's this guy? Is he a believer? I think not. I'm afraid of you. You're an exacting man. You take up what you didn't lay down and you reap what you did not sow. Is that a mark of a believer? Is that what they talk about God? He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Now, are his people worthless slaves? Never does he call believers worthless. We are worth something. We are valuable. You know, here is true esteem. You're in Christ and you inherit the earth. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You're adopted to have all the ownership of all the world with Jesus Christ. I think that's incredible. What do you guys think about that? Does that get you elated? That's what we're looking forward to. It's real. It's as real as you're sitting right there in that chair right now. Matter of fact, it's even more real. Because you cannot be sitting in that chair right quickly. The chair could just collapse. Christ could come back right now. So the third slave, what do you get out of that deal? Well, any kind of reward that he would have, it's taken away. He doesn't get any rewards. Matter of fact, the mina that he did have is stripped from him. That means all the responsibilities that he had and he did nothing. He didn't want to do anything. But he appeared as a slave, a servant of this. He professes to know this Master. He professes to know God. But by his deeds, 
He's showing that He denies. He is detestable. He's disobedient, this man is. And He's worthless for any good deed. He's worthless. Wow. Did He take the words of the king seriously? What did He say? Here's your mina. Go and do business with it. Do it. Go make it happen. You do with it. The king judges according to what the slave said. He's judged on his own words. He said, I was afraid. You're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. You're judged by just what you have said. What kind of view does the slave have of the king? He is not one who cares for the king. We see that Jesus says, "Did you not know that I'm an? Ex- did you know that I'm an exacting man? You know that taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Then why didn't you put my money in the bank? If I'm that way, then why didn't you at least just put it in the bank? And that way, you knew that uh, you know at least there'd be something come up. But it'd be much safer than a handkerchief, right? If I'm that way." We see the losses of the slave. Everything is taken away. He had nothing. It seems that this third servant doesn't know the king. He's a harsh man. He's a harsh man. He's a harsh God. You see, he didn't see God as gracious. What the other men say? The mina you gave me. You gave me. All glory goes to Him, doesn't it? He's going to be cast into outer darkness. Indifferent. Unconcerned about the Master's purpose and His kingdom. Just going on through life. Yes, these people are involved in church. They come there Sunday. That's part of their lives. But what the Master really says there means nothing. I'm just there. Depart from me. That's what He says. Are they living for themselves? Yeah. For their own comfort. For their own will, their ways. Jesus says here now, Verse 25, and they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already, you know. Why are you giving it to him? Well, see, the ones who have will even get more. God will take that from this slave and give it to the one who had ten already. People say, well, that's not fair. Who are we to ever say God is not fair? He's the perfect and righteous judge. Verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. As you go along in your life here, God will abundantly, abundantly, but you will have more opportunities 
The capacity to serve God is what this is all about. And what about the ones who don't get quite the amount of rewards? They will be perfectly pleased to. Remember the first, last, and last verse that you get into heaven. But yet, there will be greater capacity for the ones who have served God in a glorious way here on earth than even others. There's a degrees of rewards. There's a degree of glory in heaven. That's why we just say, I want all that God wants to give me. I want those rewards because I'm going to cast them back before Him, those crowns, because it will give glory to Him. That's the idea. Now, we see the rebellious citizens, these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here, slay them in my presence. That's what Archelaus did. Remember Archelaus? It went to the you know Roman government and gave him somewhat of a king. He never really got his full-blown kingship, but he did have rule over the people. They hated him, they hated him, and he wound up just, what did he do with them? He killed them. That's what he did. Well, what happened? So he says here exactly what historically had happened back a few decades ago. They're enemies of him. There's an active rebellion and the enemies I automatically think of are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers in the synagogues and the ones that did not trust in Christ. They sought to put Jesus to death. So that's an active rebellion. They're obvious. But then there is a passive rebellion that we've seen all along through here. A more passive sort of rebellion would be demonstrated in chapter 18. Remember the rich young ruler? He was passive. He did not utilize that which had been given to him for the advancement of the kingdom because he saw what it was all about. And he says that's what advancing into the kingdom is about. I can't do it. That's passive rebellion. There's active rebellion, it's obvious. There's passive rebellion. He identified with believers. He taught believers. Ruler of a synagogue. Eternal torment. He slays them in the the presence right there. They hated the king. They actively opposed his reign. You know what? He kills them in this story. That's really mild compared to eternal judgment. Eternal torment. Away from the presence of the Lord. Matthew 25, verse 30. And we're right at the end here. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal punishment. How long is that? Eternal. Some people say, well, you'll just burn up. Sounds real nice. You know, we, we really have compassion on those people. And we know, what they do is they'll, they'll just die. And then it's it. No. Jesus. Th- these are His words. It's an eternal punishment. They will feel it every day for eternity. There we have it. 
rewards punishment. Are you the citizens who hate Him? Are you the slave that thinks lowly of Jesus, but yet you seem to be a slave, a servant of Him? Do we utilize what He's entrusted to us to do the work of the kingdom? The enemies of the King. Are we citizens like them that killed Him? Are we the faithful slave? If you're a slave, you are a faithful slave, right? Eternal dimensions it has, doesn't it? That's what Jesus said as they were marching right on up to Jerusalem. That's what He spoke. And they're all going to rejoice. The next section is, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they don't get it. Do we get it? We're in a kingdom right now. It's hard sometimes. But it's worth it all. Let's pray. Father, we give You glory for this particular day that we've had. Thank You for withholding the snow so that we could worship here today. Thank You so much for that opportunity and privilege. We thank You for Your truth and make it an impact on our lives so that we can invest into this kingdom that we're going to be a part of for eternity. Thank You that we have that great promise. Thank you for your word, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.